Welcome to the Sales Engagement Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Outreach, the leading sales engagement platform, helping companies, sellers, and customer success engage with buyers and customers in the modern sales era. Check out salesengagement.com for new episodes, resources, and the book on sales engagement available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble or wherever books are sold. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome back everyone to the Sales Engagement Podcast. As always, my name is Scott Barker and I'll be your host today for the next 20-30 minutes. I've got an awesome, awesome guest lined up today. I am joined by Tyler Menke. Uh, Tyler, welcome to the show. And am I pronouncing your last name right? That is correct. Beautiful, beautiful. You got it. So quick background on Tyler. So Tyler is the Strategic Accounts Manager over at Myriad Genetics has a, a long history in medical sales and the medical field. So, you know, rather than me going off of, uh, you know, your LinkedIn, Tyler, why don't you give us a little background? How did you get to where you're at today? Sure. I jokingly say that sales sort of chose me because originally I wanted to be a doctor. And so if you think of where I'm at now in medical sales... I found a way to marry my two loves, <laughs> but um, I was I was diagnosed late in life with some learning disabilities, which makes a world of difference once you realize. And so for me, you know, I struggled mightily with school. Ended up uh, starting pre med, and and you know, I had worked my way through school up until college, and then medical school was sort of the dooming fate. So I switched over to business. And lucky for me, you know, after a stint in B2B sales at UPS, I was able to land a medical sales job. And uh, I worked at Hologic doing um, device sales for a number of years and then went to Myriad Genetics where now I'm in strategic accounts, you know, working with cancer institutes and hospital systems and OBGYN offices. So that's a little about me. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I find that's quite often the case with, with sales professionals. It's not always the chosen path. Sometimes it chooses you a little bit more. I know back in the day, I was convinced I was going to be uh, a lawyer. And then similar to you, it's like, that is a lot of school. And I was, I, I fortunately didn't have learning disabilities. And I still was like, there's just no way I can do it. Let's talk through some of your learnings from you know, overcoming some of these obstacles that were that were put in your place and how that has affected you now later in your career in a positive way. Yeah, I mean, I think hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So even though sales may have chosen me, it's a blessing. I mean, it's it's a absolute great profession because if you message correctly, you know, you can change people's lives, you know, particularly in medical sales. So, but yeah, I mean, I I suck starting off just like everyone does. And, you know, I think the best thing that happened for me was my first medical sales job. I was in a role, which, which is called the surgical sales specialist. And it was like learning sales by drinking out of a fire hose. So the way it worked was, um, you know, in order to break into medical sales, basically at, at the time I was very young, I wasn't married. And so in this role, you would fill in open territories anywhere in the country. So for instance, my first role was Atlanta, Georgia. There was a maternity leave and they're like, Tyler, you're in Atlanta, Georgia until further notice. 
And uh, oftentimes you didn't have the background on the hospital systems or the doctors or where you were going. And if you know anything about medical sales, you're going into the OR. So it was sort of a daunting first uh, introduction into medical sales. But the beauty of it was with each and every territory you took on and um, all the mistakes you made, you just learned so much. And for somebody who was always scared of making mistakes, you know, I, I gave myself a little bit of leeway, I would say, because everyone knew that I didn't have much background on these territories. And so, um, you know, it was a great opportunity to break in. So that, that was like the year of mistakes, I usually call it, but I got my own territory after that. And so they must have, uh, you know, appreciated what I was doing. And I learned so much from that experience. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I think too often we're, we're afraid to fail and we run away from, from failure where in reality is if you can fail enough times, <laughs> you know, you yeah. just get enough iterations under your belt that you're actually way better off than someone who's never failed. Cause then when an obstacle gets in front of them, they've never seen it and they'll, you know, completely crash and burn maybe later in life. So I was, I was similar to you back in the day. I, did a whole lot of failing early, yeah. early in my career. And I think it's a blessing. Um, okay. Let's, let's kind of transport back in time. So you, you get this new territory, you know, for those listening, I'm sure we have some people that are part of uh, the medical sales field, probably quite a few, you know, you're, you're headed down to Atlanta, Georgia, new city, new job, new territory, new product that you're selling. How do you overcome that first kind of fear of walking into that OR knowing that you know next to nothing, I assume? Yeah, I think that, first of all, you know, a big part of selling is setting expectations. And when I took the role, I remember the guy who hired me, who's now a C COO of a large medical company. But he looked, at, he looked at me and he said, this will be the absolute hardest year of your life. Are you willing to do it? And at that point, when I committed to it, that was sort of like, okay, it's going to be hard. And I was willing to commit to the fear. So I felt like by the time I got down to Atlanta, everything from there was, you know, this is probably also a commonality with salespeople. We always think the worst, like when our sales numbers are high, we think they're going to fall to the bottom. And when we're at the bottom, we think we're going to get, you know, fired next week. So by the time I got down there, I, I had such fear already in my mind that when I actually was experiencing it, it was not nearly as terrifying as I thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So just approaching it, just being like, hey, this is, this is going to suck. And I know this is going to suck, but this is what I signed up for. And I'm putting up with this in the short term to open up a myriad of different doors for the long term. Right. Exactly. And, I, you know, there's such a difference between commitment and goals, you know, like marriage is a commitment, you know, running a marathon is a commitment, but just deciding that you want to lose weight, you know, that uh, there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily commitments and I was committed. So I, and often when I make that commitment to something, I don't let myself fail. So I think that was probably the biggest thing, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was, you know, a tough year for, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so just to reiterate, so you're, the difference between like goals and a commitment in your mind is like, 
a goal is I want to lose weight. A commitment is I'm going to go to the gym five days a week. Is that how you kind of break it up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think commitments are sort of long-term and visionary and um, you know, some of the best advice I ever got, I actually recently had posted about this. I would say the best sales advice I ever got was to announce your goals to people that you respect, Mm -hmm. you know? So if you want to, if you want to achieve something, not just having it be something internal, but actually telling others about it. And that, that just adds to that level of commitment. So this is something I had wanted to get into was medical sales. I had told others that that was, you know, why I originally, you know, took the sales roles that I took early on. And so uh, if I was committed to it and I had told others that I was going to succeed, then I, I wouldn't. But you're going to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Totally. As soon as you say it out loud, say it to some friends, say it to some people you truly respect, then you've all of a sudden got this social contract that you're almost like bound to. And, uh, you know, you, as we all know, if you break contracts over time, they mean less and less. So you want to be very, those are sacred things, right? To yourself and to to others when you make them. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other thing I want to just quickly touch on, there's a few other things I want to cover with you, but is this idea. So you went down hardest year of your life. You're cutting your teeth. You're going for it. I have some kind of almost controversial views on this. Cause a lot of people talk, you know, work-life balance, you need to like take care of all this stuff. But when you talk to a lot of people that have gained a lot of success in their careers, work-life balance is super important. I'm a huge proponent of it, but it really didn't come till like later in my career, which I still struggle with, but like, you know, there's no time for work-life balance in my eyes when you're just learning an industry and you're trying to break in, like there's very little balance. What are your thoughts in this huge movement for young people that always want work-life balance first? I couldn't agree more on two levels. You know, the thing I always call it getting my plate spinning. And if my wife could hear me in the other room, she would be like rolling her eyes. (laughs) Because the thing is, there are times when you have to know that it is worth going 110%. Because if you can just get the plate spinning and get things, get the ball rolling, you, you know, good visionaries will see the forest through the trees and know that down the road, this extra work right now that I'm putting in, you know, if you're waking up at 430 every day for a year and a half, like I've done for the last year and a half you know that that's for a long-term vision and a goal. You know, I'm somebody who's married and has three kids and um, they mean the world to me. And, um, you know, I am constantly working to, to have a balance. And so what I, what I say is, you know, it, it's, it's a lot about setting expectations, you know, with your family so that, and also setting dates so that if you're in that plate spinning time when you know you're going all in you've all also set aside a time after that plate spinning is over to you know reconnect with your family and and maybe go on a vacation or or take some time off because you do need both but I think having both in the same day and as a routine doesn't necessarily work so I don't know if you would agree with that like I think the controversy comes about because you know family work-life balance all that's important but if it becomes too routine as, as your day, you know, sometimes you can't achieve a beyond others. Yeah. No, I, 
I agree. And I think we're on the same page. It's almost like work-life balance. Yes. hundred percent. I'm a huge supporter of it, but on the macro level, not the micro, not like every day is going to be perfect work-life balance, but on a macro level of your career, you know, there's certain times where you got to, you got to sprint for a year and a half like you did. And then there's other times where you, you know, you've, your plate is fully spinning, as you said, and you've got some momentum and the juices are flowing and, and you're good to go. And maybe you can, you know, relax a little bit more, spend more time with your family, meditate, all those are fantastic things. It sounds like we're on the same page there. Um, okay. Next thing I want to talk about, you've also written a book, which we didn't discuss at all, which is called the, the Pirate's Guide to Sales. Yeah, and before we dive into it, I got to ask, what's, what's with the name? Well, even though I like myself as a creative person, the title that I wanted was already taken. Yeah. The, what was that? <laughs> the subtle art of not giving a fuck. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it, man. I it, it. in all reality, um, and I do love that book, like Mark Manson uses those shock titles, but those are really insightful books. I've not met him, but I, I venture to guess that he's made a, a line share of uh, mistakes himself. And that's why he's so insightful. But uh, no, the reality is it's called the pirate's guide because I, I don't venture to guess that anyone, even listening to this podcast, you know, that's hearing this would think, you know, that I want to read some book by this guy. Anyone that's been, you know, a sales professional has their own system and you don't necessarily want to hear one other salesperson's perspective because we're all different. And, but then the other thing that's always kind of pissed me off is that if you look at the, the sales methods that we've all been taught over the years, you know, from spin selling, challenger sales, what have you, you know, if you look up those authors, they're all researchers. They've not necessarily been in sales themselves. And even though it's called the challenger sale, the first thing you do is you, you go out into buckets. Are you the lone wolf? Are you the uh, relationship builder? Are you the the book's called the challenger sale. So everyone wants to be the challenger that's in that room. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in reality, I've seen, as we'll get to with the book, I've seen, you know, the introvert sales guy at the top of the sales ranks, just as much as I've seen the lone wolf or the challenger, there's no method about having your own system. Mm-hmm. It's called the pirate's guide because I interviewed people for the last five years, the top sellers I could find. And we took all the best ideas and pirated them for the book. So this is meant to accelerate your own learning and be able to take snippets and tidbits from other people's systems and add them to your own. I love it. I love it. Makes sense now. Makes total sense. I don't have to start using R or anything in my, uh, in my outreach. (laughs) No, I mean, I like, you know, jokingly, I say that about the title, but you want something that, you know, catches people's attention. Of course. And, um, you know, the, for, for myself, being a pirate has been important, you know, always having good mentors, reaching out to people outside of your industry when yeah. group things going on to, to find new innovation. So, yeah. yeah, this has been about a five-year project, and I think there's a lot of great ideas in here. So, Cool, man. I have some – I got a lot of strong ideas about kind of what, what you said there about pirating ideas from, from other people is, you know, I think as we – advance and information is so readily available at our fingertips that, you know, knowledge, like the actual knowing of things isn't quite as important as access to knowledge. So access to books like yours, to people that you interviewed, as long as you can quickly and effectively get the answers, it's actually 
I think going to be more increasingly more important than the actual knowledge itself because we can only store so much. Totally agree. And, you know, my thoughts were, you know, I've become a hyper learner once I sort of figured out my own needs and requirements as it related to learning. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, as I've read all my favorite books over the last, you know, 10 years or so, they all start with a great story, you know, anecdotal story. And then you got the concepts in the center. And then the chapter circles back around to that introduction. Yeah. And when you have stories, you know, stories you've never heard before of inspiration and motivation, and you tie them to a concept and you add a, some visuals in there, that's when things seem to stick in your mind. Mm-hmm. And so you'll, you'll find a lot of that in this book. And, um, you know, everything's sort of organized in a very um, purposeful formatting. So like, as you might imagine, the chapter on anchoring the sale or the anchor is on finding the why. And, and, you know, Lean Six Sigma has a methodology for doing that, as does like the Simon Sinek's of the world. Yeah. So yeah. That's to give an example, you know, on, on how the concepts sort of die in a memorable way. I love it. Well, I'm excited to uh, to pick a copy up. I haven't yet read it, but I'm excited to to check it out. Okay, let's talk. We we'll use the next couple minutes just to talk about some of the red threads that you saw these very high performers had. What were they doing differently that you know listeners can can pirate from? Yeah. So first off, you'll see it, if you read the book or even if you don't, they're all very different. You know, and I think that all of us that have been in sales for a long time can can relate to that. There is no sales type that works best. But the common threads, to answer your question, first off, they're all very value-driven. So that that sounds very benign and basic. So to put more, you know, teeth into that, one thing that I saw across the board with all the top people is that they don't just ask questions or prepare five minutes before a call. They will go and observe people's places of work prior to going in or research, you know, for days on end before they go into the call. And when they do that, you know, every single one of them, I wouldn't say was a closer. They were actually telling the customer the next steps. So that was one of the common threads is when I was asking them about how they close or what their approach to closing is, they would like pause. And it was like, they didn't even know how they did it. But after you sort of beat it out of them, really what they got down to was that they don't ask questions. By the time they get to the end, they have already laid it out so well for the customer that they're basically telling the customer the next steps and just getting agreement and alignment on those next steps. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the big things. The other was that they all seem to have, you know, they're very self-aware of being different. Every single one of them at some point said, well, you know, I do this different, different than most people, or this might be different than what you typically hear. And what you get out of that after you dig in is that they're always innovating. You know, they're not just taking things at face value. And I remember in medical sales, we started moving things into the office from the hospital. So you'd have procedures in the office. And for a short bit of time, the 
surgeons had a much wider margin of reimbursement in the office setting. So the reps that could help guide and set up in-office procedures, the first ones that figured that out, blew it out of the water. I mean, you know, one presence club, two, three years in a row, you know, just blew it out of the water. And, and that's a common thing that I saw through all these people is that they weren't just taking things at face value. Like, well, maybe there's a different way to do this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would say they're not necessarily like closers or, you know, drilling, drilling people at the end of a sales calls. They're more value driven and guiding them. And secondarily, they're very much innovators. I like it. I like it. Innovation is so unbelievably key. You know, there's so many salespeople. We've all got competitors. And, you know, I think novelty and innovation now more than ever is really important because you need to find a way to first stand out and then, you know, prove why you're, you're the, the solution or a product service for them. I love it, man. Um, all right. As we, as we wrap up, I always like to ask this question just because people are, are super busy and we covered so much. If people just walk away and only remember three things from this conversation, what would you like those three things to be? First and foremost, anyone in sales, and I've now talked to, I've, I've either managed and been out in the field with hundreds of people or talked to hundreds of people, you know, with the book, we all experience that roller coaster. And so the worst thing you can do is, you know, when, when your sales are bad is just look at your numbers or get down in the dumps, you know, find calling a friend during those times that is in a better mood or like turning to a good motivational Ted talk or something, something productive that improves you, not diffuses you. So in the times of the dead seas, uh, do something that will improve you, not diffuse you. You know, we all experience the roller coaster. The second thing is that, you know, when it comes to innovation as it relates to sales, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, creating some new software platform or something, something super sophisticated. It's all about just thinking differently and thinking through the eyes of the customer. You know, how, what are every other, what's every other salesperson doing that comes into this office, your competitors or those that came before you, and how can you do it differently and better? And then the last thing is just um, we're kind of in a day and age where the shotgun approach that even when you ask people when it comes to sales, you know, if they believe in the shotgun approach, everybody would say no. But, you know, there's a chapter in the book called the cannonball strategy. We're in a day and age where it is far too competitive and expensive to acquire new customers each time. So becoming hyper-focused and knowing who your best targets are, and then understanding how you're going to win that subset of targets is the most important thing right now, in my opinion. You know, you have to know who the customers are that you can actually bring the most value to and that have the most opportunity for you and hyper-focus on them. So those are the three things. You know, do something that will improve you, not diffuse you, Think differently and try to be different than those that came before you. And then, you know, lastly, just, you know, making sure that we work through that last process and, and, and guide the customer to the end. I love it, man. Those are three excellent ones. And I, I couldn't agree more with each and every one of those. 
Uh, Tyler, I want to thank you for your time, man. You have a ton of insight. I want to encourage anyone listening to this, definitely go check out this guy's book. I know I will. And uh, we'll have to have you back because I get the feeling that was just like the tip of iceberg of uh, the tip of the iceberg of your knowledge. But uh, thanks again, man. And those listening, thank you so much. Have a great week. Thank you. This was another episode of the Sales Engagement Podcast. Join us at salesengagement.com for new episodes, resources, and the book on sales engagement now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. To get the most out of your sales engagement strategy, make sure to check out Outreach, the leading sales engagement platform. See you on the next episode.